0: Welcome to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I'm Matt Levin, data journalist with Cal Matters,
1: And I'm Liam Dillon with the Los Angeles Times. And today on the podcast, the
0: construction labor shortage.
1: Yeah. Uh, to th- you know, people need to build houses. and not enough of them.
0: This is why you can't find um, a decent contractor to renovate your bathroom in California.
1: Or build a new house.
0: Yeah, which is more important for the... Topics our show covered. Right. Um, we are going to be talking with a couple people who are kind of knee-deep in this issue in California. Liam, why don't you tell us who our first guest is?
1: Yeah, so we'll have Alex Landsberg, who's an analyst with the San Francisco uh, Electricians Union. Uh, and then our second guest,
0: Matt. It will be Rachel Bardis, who is a home builder here in Sacramento. A couple kind of housekeeping things before we uh, start um, the meat of the show. First, uh, thanks to everyone who... Tweeted at CalMatters, tweeted at me, tweeted at Liam um, after the 827 episode. Um, there was a lot of good feedback on the episode. It was the most listened to episode we've we've ever done. Um, it was tough not to do another episode on 827.
1: I, I think we're probably going to do that at some point. Um, yeah. We're still waiting. I mean, you know, like no hearing. all this talk, no hearing dates. No hearing. You know, everyone waiting with bated breath, crossed fingers, all those sorts of things. Hasn't happened. Nope. You know um, let let me plan my life senator scott weiner can't do it set a hearing date
0: a couple plugs. Um, if you haven't yet, you should read Liam's piece on A27. If you want a too long, don't read version of it, you can read mine, but <laughs> Liam's piece is better. Um, and well, then I, it's
1: on the on the effects of, particularly in Los Angeles. On LA, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then I I also dropped another piece today, looking at specifically institutional investors, not foreign buyers, but institutional investors, um, and their impact on California housing prices. And the too long, don't read on that is
1: meh. Just, really? Yeah. Interesting. Kind of meh. I, but that's a finding worth knowing.
0: Yeah. But I think so. Okay. First, the ever-popular segment.
1: Avocado of the Fortnite.
0: And our avocado of the Fortnite, our absurd slash whimsical look into um California housing news, um touches on a topic that isn't isn't so funny, but a response to it was Somewhat funny, um, Liam. Why don't Why don't you take us down to uh, where the avocado is located so, this fortnight?
1: So the avocado this fortnight is in. Uh, I was trying. I'm trying to do like a fruit joke here, but it's just not working. It's not coming to my mind. You know. Yeah,
0: maybe don't do it.
1: Avocado in Orange County. You know that is, they're both fruit, but that's that's really all I got. Um, yep. So anyway, let's keep moving. I, let's keep moving. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the quote. And then you could tell me who this person is, because it just sounds like a, a person. Ooh. Yeah. How okay. We do this? I like okay. that game. Okay. All right. Quote, as a parent who owns a modest home in an Orange County neighborhood, I join the outrage that we are assuming responsibility for homeless people, taking care of their basic needs and elongating their agony by removing the necessity to make fundamental decisions about the way they live their lives. Ooh. Who do I think that is? Um, Mike Trout. He lives
0: in Orange County.
1: Probably, but it's not Mike Trout. Not my, he wouldn't live in a modest home,
0: you know? Uh, is it Dana Rohrabacher?
1: <laughs> yes!
0: I can't believe I guessed I that. I can't
1: believe you guessed it either. Who? Who is Dana Rohrabacher? Dana Rohrabacher, who we've
0: talked about on this podcast yeah. before, uh-huh. uh, Congressman, Republican congressman from Orange County, um, stating uh, views on homelessness that uh, may not be in line with how a majority of Californians might feel about the issue.
1: Well, but certainly it seems like a large number of people from Orange County feel the same way.
0: Maybe he's just reflecting the views of people in his district.
1: Yeah, so this goes back to um, this really, to me, the most fascinating ongoing conversation uh, about homelessness happening in California right now, which is in Orange County. Uh, You know, uh, about a month or so back, uh, there was some efforts to clear the Santa Ana Riverbed uh, where there's been large numbers of uh, homeless encampments. um, And this is sort of the the added a wrinkle to this that's not really going on anywhere else in the state is that there's a U.S. federal judge involved um, who is sort of ordering and directing the response in Orange County uh, to this homelessness issue. And so he has ordered ordered the, the, the cities in this in the county and the county itself to come up with a plan to sort of temporarily house and uh, and shelter people. And so there was a plan that the Board of Supervisors put together, uh, but it got uh, absolutely roasted, roasted. Uh, uh by who by uh the congressman uh but also a, a large segment of uh population in certain particularly in certain cities or irvine comes to mind uh costa mesa huntington that, beach huntington beach don't want uh shelters yeah and they're pretty i mean it's not even like coded language just keep homeless people out of our, our way yep. yeah um the other kind of avocado-y part of this quote yeah, let's go back. He says, you know, he says the mm-hmm. parent who owns a modest home in an Orange County neighborhood, and Matt, Matt, Matt got receipts on that. Uh, please don't receipts. say that.
0: Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, I was curious what a modest home in Orange County looks like, and uh, I found Rohrabacher's home uh, because uh, protesters had stormed it basically <laughs> um, after Trump's election, and you could actually see the address number um, in a photo by from the L.A. Times. Wow. And the street. Um, so I just zillowed it. And, uh, you know, aesthetically, I don't know if I'd call it modest. Okay. I, would, I, would, I wouldn't I I would, would say it was, like, gaudy Opulent, or anything. Yeah, opulence. exactly. There's no decadence in it. Okay. Um, but uh, Rohrbacher's modest home where he raises his kids in Orange County, uh, valued at $1.6 million. Wow. Yeah. Ju- yeah. Modest? Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm not gonna, I mean, uh, I'm not gonna tell you whether it's modest or not. It's $1.6 million. It's not modest. Here I am, it's not modest, you know? Um...
1: That's that's an expensive house. I,
0: I love Orange County. It's, it's an (laughs) insane place. There's so much going on there. And, like, this particular issue highlights everything, right? Like, it's the those that are wealthy and more conservative on the beachfront, like trying to preserve a memory of Orange County that was kind of what a lot of baby boomers think of it yeah. like back in the day. Right. There's a huge Vietnamese population there. Right. And then Santa Ana yeah. is its own weird deal where basically the entire county's homeless population now is. Exactly. Um, It's fascinating. Yeah. Why don't we move to uh, our topic of the podcast? Um, and why don't we start... Um, let's start with some caveats about us. Yeah, this is this is a topic that I mean, I'm just generally more willing to admit this this type of thing than Liam is, Um, (laughs) which I we've heard it from a lot of the people we've talked to, but I have not done a story on this, nor have I had in-depth conversations before about what we've repeatedly heard is a huge, 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 huge issue in driving up the cost of housing, which is the shortage of skilled labor to build the houses. Exactly.
1: And yeah, I mean, like uh similar to Matt, you know, this is not something that I've done an in depth story on either. And it's it's funny, you know, oftentimes when when I write about housing and, and from the legislative perspective, from a political perspective, which I obviously, guys think is fundamentally important. I'll get a response. Well, cities don't build houses. The state doesn't build houses. It's like developers build houses. And why aren't you banging on developers or why aren't you hitting on whatever? And so, and this is an issue that, that, that comes up a lot, um, that, that admittedly, I don't think either of us have a ton of expertise on, but it's, it's important. I mean, to build a house, someone has to do it. And if there aren't enough people who to do it, then that's problematic. Um, and I think we see that, um, uh, I think we see that uh, uh, that some of the politicians are going to run into this, particularly with with some of their more ambitious uh, goals that they yeah. may have. You know, I did a story that we've referred to previously in the podcast about uh, gubernatorial candidates Gavin Newsom and Antonio Villaraigosa having goals of building three and a half million homes uh, by 2025 or 500,000 new homes uh, a year for when they take office. And, you know, we talked or I talked for that story with the head of the uh, uh, sort of a contractors association statewide who said that's not possible. It's not possible because there aren't enough people there to build it. And so, you know, you could change all the zoning rules you want. You can change all the incentives you want. You could change Prop 13, do all of these things. But the fundamental fact is at the end of the day, there have to be people able to build homes.
0: Yeah. And I think that also speaks to maybe part of the reason why. This particular issue doesn't get as much media coverage, at least here, and also doesn't attract a ton of policymaker attention is because even though they might be incredibly politically difficult, things like secret reform, things like Prop 13 reform, things like coming up with more money to subsidize affordable units, all of that can be accomplished with the stroke of a pen. Correct. You can't create a carpenter with the stroke of a pen, although maybe there's some VC funding behind (laughs) that that we can get that we can get behind. Um, but yeah, th- this is something that is seems much more structural. Yes. And difficult to solve. Yes. And kind of defies explanation from at least like kind of a, a wage, a wage and economic argument. And maybe you can talk about a, a meeting we had with um, the CBIA um, and the the answers that we got there. Yeah,
1: so uh, Matt and I uh, earlier this year were summoned. Would you say? I'd say it was a summoning.
0: It didn't feel. I it mean, was it was it was a, it was a like a principal's office. It was but a, it was a polite summoning.
1: Yeah, let's call let's call it
0: that. I never so, got small bottled water at a <laughs> at a. Uh, principal's
1: office so this is a, this is the there was a polite summoning by the, the building industry association which is the, the sort of the umbrella group representing builders statewide um they want to talk to matt and i about sort of what they think the principal causes of the housing crisis is and housing problems are and i and as we were talking there and it was a lot it's a lovely you know it's a love it was a lovely conference room uh the mm-hmm. lovely lovely conversation and uh, with what was it a half dozen or so people? Yeah, uh, yeah. So you know they brought, they, you know, they knew who they were meeting with, right? right. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so, so, um, uh, you know, I asked a question that I ask, I ask this a lot on Twitter because I don't know, I legitimately don't know, and I don't, and no one's been able to give me a good answer. Like, like, why is there a construction labor shortage? Yeah, and you know, the, the, they didn't quite get an answer that. That that you know the same things that you hear it's I hear a lot as well immigration is an issue and I'm glad we're going to be talking about all this stuff with our guests right yes. but immigration is an issue and 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 um, stigma well, stigma you know people may don't, may want to want to have these jobs anymore um, you know those sorts of things you know I asked also asked the question uh, you know if you have a shortage of people willing to do a job it seems to me one way to encourage people to do a job is to pay them more yes. like why don't you pay people more. Um, yes. And then that, that, that well, you know, got caught up, that answer got caught up in sort of the maw of, well, building costs are expensive for a zillion different reasons. And so you add more costs and building's more expensive and mm-hmm. then it's... Project it, doesn't pencil out. Exactly. That's always how that conversation Yeah,
0: ends, Yeah. Uh-huh. I, um, but kind of what you're speaking to as well is the explanations that you, that we typically receive when we kind of, you know, ask why why is this the case they they seem to fall flat when it comes to basic labor supply and demand, right? Yeah. Like well, if you if the wages were high enough, people would stop either getting an art history degree from, you know, some uh liberal arts campus yeah. and become a welder. A welder, a plumber, a roofer, right? Um All the ears. Exactly. Yeah. Or uh, if the wages were high enough, then even without a supply of immigrant labor, you would be attracting domestic workers. Right. So that that's why it's kind of a this perplexing thing, at least at the at the surface level. Yeah. And not to say that those explanations are specious or whatever. They just that's why we're like, eh, but there there's there just seems to be something more there. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, why don't we talk about prevailing wage? Yeah. So uh, why don't we talk about uh, that wage in the context of our number of the of the? I always <laughs> forget to come back to the number. Yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, let's let see, let see if I can tee this up. Um, sure. So um, and... did, uh, I'll tee it up for you. Okay. Well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh. All
0: right. You, you okay with that? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what do you make per hour, Liam?
1: Oh, wow! <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is, I should, if the construction wages were high enough, I would stop working as a journalist. I'm ready to stop. and become an electrician.
0: If I had any of those skills, I would totally do. that.
1: <laughs> so um, I'm not going to answer your question, but uh, but uh, I will say that that's a lovely entree to our Thank number you. of a number of the Fortnite, um, which in this case is forty four dollars and sixteen cents. And what is that? Well, if, I mean, it's not it's, what you make per hour. It's not what I make per hour, uh, but it is what a uh, a Los Angeles area plumber makes if if they are covered by the state's prevailing wage laws.
0: And what is that? What what is the a prevailing yeah. wage? Law? So
1: prevailing wage is essentially a union level wage. So it doesn't necess- you don't have to be in a union to to make that wage. Uh, but that's the wage that the state will mandate uh, for certain projects particularly public construction projects, this is what you make um, if uh, if you're involved in those uh, in those efforts. Um, And
0: why has prevailing wage specifically been such a hot button issue in the legislature?
1: Yeah. So. I think we've referenced this in one of our early on podcasts, but one of the most important interest groups with respect to housing policy in the state is the State Building and Construction Trades um, Council. And they are really powerful and they're the union that, rep- that represents construction workers statewide. And so uh, if they don't like a bill on housing uh, or really a lot of things, um, they can marshal a lot of energy to, uh, to kill it. Um, and if they do, they can marshal, marshal a lot of energy to pass it. A really simple, good example um, that, that a lot of our listeners will resonate with them. Uh, in the summer of 2016, Governor Jerry Brown um, put forward a plan that would uh, have uh, allowed for developers uh, to build without delay. Uh, this is known as buy right on certain parcels of land that were already zoned for high density housing in an effort to kind of cut down some of the. Uh, opposition and and costs that that come along with that mm-hmm. uh, that plan went nowhere. Did not even get a legislative hearing, um, and the chief reason for that, or one of the chief reasons for that, it was the opposition of the construction workers union. Fast forward to the following year, uh, Senator Scott Weiner from San Francisco gets elected. What? So he had some phone calls to make. Yeah. What in what order?
0: When he was deciding, these are the interest groups that I just know exactly where you're going because exactly. this is one of the. Liam Dillon, greatest hits. Yeah, Um, uh, He had a lot of calls to make. Could have called the governor first. Right. Could have called the developers first. Could have. Could have called you. Could have called me. I'd have picked up the phone. uh,
1: Who did he call first? Who are you going to call? You're calling the construction workers union. Yeah. And you're going to say, hey, man, what do you want? Right? And so- Scott Weiner comes along and says, I want to do the exact same thing the governor did, but I saw what happened. And so my first call was the construction workers union to say, hey, guys, what do you want? And I'm here for this. Right. And so. That's what happened. Um, not only was prevailing wage mandated in the in the the Senator Weiner's version of the governor's buy right um, legislation, uh, they also added so the so union level wages. Um, any project that takes advantage of uh, or any sort of project larger than a few units that takes advantage yeah, of of uh, the the buy right provisions in, in that bill wages. and Senate Bill Thirty Five has to pay union labor. And yeah. not only that, um, there was another provision added whereby uh, the they have to fire file um. Or I'm I'm sorry. They have to follow union-level um, work rules too. So that's on training for apprentices and things like that. Th- those costs have to be incorporated into uh, into those projects as well. And so, bill pest. Yeah. The bill pest. And yeah. again, a chief reason for that is the support of the of the construction workers union.
0: And the complaints that we heard from developers and affordable housing developers specifically was okay. That means that it's going to be tougher to build. Uh, projects in places where wages are typically lower, um, in in cheaper places, right? So like in, in coastal, in more expensive labor markets, like San Francisco, like LA, like San Diego,
1: you A lot of projects already have. They already have the, those labor things built in, exactly, or, or union level work rules or union level labor, labor, level union level level labor yeah. uh, uh, costs w- worked in. But in Fresno, for instance, that's not the case. Exactly. And it's really funny, you know. Um, there's typically this union between. Uh, If you forgive the pun between the construction workers union and labor um, and affordable housing developers, because they typically come from the same um, perspective on this issue, though, uh, uh, union level labor for um, uh, pay for construction workers. That is not there is not a agreement. Um, And, uh, you know, it's clear who won that. Yeah. Um, it's And it's a finished issue. It's funny, you know, I, the story uh, last year, maybe we'll put in the, in the show notes about um, about the influence of the construction workers union on on, on housing policy. Yeah. But I spoke with uh, Senator Tony Atkins, who's now the, the leader of the Senate, and she's a huge affordable housing developer or a few affordable housing advocate. Uh, her spouse is a consultant in the affordable housing world. She's worked herself in that. And so, um, you know, I asked her, hey, all your pals in this industry say, you know, maybe prevailing wage is a problem. And she goes, no, whenever I talk to them, I say this is a finished issue. Prevailing wages is in, and that's it. And so I think it is, in a lot of ways, a, a finished conversation um, for all of these sort of major housing bills that deal, particularly those that deal with actual construction of projects. Um, it's very hard for me to see. Any um, any policy passed without without that in there?
0: Let's let's talk about the rationale behind prevailing wage, like yeah. the the ideological kind of rationale behind it. Right. And we, we should also note that the salar- the uh, wage that we cited for the plumber was one of the highest ones that we that we plucked. Right. Um, so right. they they're, they're not all. Making you know forty dollars an hour.
1: Well, and, and for for com- some comparison's sake, um, the a non union plumber in L A. Um, their median wage was twenty six fifty seven. Yeah. So So, uh, yeah, um, it is a little bit higher than some that plumber number, but also it, it, I think it does show, and it is similar gaps in a lot of other jobs: like electricians, carpenters, roofers. Similar gaps between yeah. um, the non union wage and the and the union wage. So, what what argument does um, the trades union
0: kind of trot out there to say? You know what? Um, we need
1: this. This yeah. is this is the right thing to do. So it's a very potent political argument. It is those who build affordable housing should not need to live in affordable housing. Because um, uh, if that's if that's not the case, then you're only adding to the uh, uh, affordable housing crisis. If, if you have uh, you know, laborers not being able to 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 afford to live in the houses that they're building. Um, and so and again, that's politically potent. Uh so it's it's a winner.
0: Yeah. But yeah. W- what do you make of it as as an argument in of itself? Right? Because like there are a lot of professions exactly that can't afford housing in California. Right. And most of those professions aren't a cost driver in and of themselves of housing in California, right?
1: Sure. And, you, yes, you can make that argument uh, for construction workers, but why not, like, teachers? Exactly. Or why not police officers? Or exactly. Why not firefighters? Or why not, any non, uh, why not nurses to take a non-public sector job that people seem to like, too, right? Yeah. And so, like, you know, yeah, like, fair enough. Um, but you can make the same argument that the construction workers union is making about a lot of other jobs.
0: Yeah. Um, and we should say, did you read that, I forget how long ago it was, but there was that op-ed in the B by the head of the trades union about the labor shortage. Okay. And he, he brought up a decent point, which was kind of along the lines of what uh, we were talking about earlier, which was, well, it, it there won't be a labor shortage when you pay us enough. Yeah. Like, that was basically, like, there isn't a labor shortage at the right wage level. And also complaining about a history of kind of labor abuse by contractors and subcontractors, right? Which I don't think should be, you know, poo-pooed out of hand, right? That no. There's there's a reason why
1: contractors sometimes have that type of reputation. Sure. I mean, there have been a number of document instances yeah. where people have waged theft or all those sorts exactly. of things. And so, yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of power on, 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 on both ends here. But the fact of the matter is... Um, you know, I don't. It's it's even in the trades. There's not a ton of people doing those jobs. They're not as enough as there as there could be, given yes. all the work that they could be getting, uh, and and is potentially down the pike. Not only from potential home building, but also from all the the efforts um, to add, you know, increase the gas tax and and uh, and and have raised all that money for. Um, for uh, road repairs and new transit and all these sorts of things. There's a lot of work that could be coming down the pike. And again, for all of this, there have to be enough, enough workers union and not, uh, to be able to do it. Yep. Um,
0: all right. Uh, anything else you want to, you want to hit on this?
1: Yeah. Just that, you, you know, to... uh, you know, we talked a lot of, you know, it's interesting our conversation veered towards what we know, which is the politics of this, more than what we don't know, which is like, okay, like the economics of How exactly of this. does this work? Exactly. Yeah. And so um, hopefully our guests can fill us in. Yes. Um, all right. Let's head to the interviews. We're here with uh, Rachel Bardis, who is a Sacramento area home builder. Thanks for being with
2: us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: So... Tell us about your job. Um, we're, we're our first developer that we've had on this podcast, so wow. like uh, that's a problem, and, right? You know? That is, and yes.
0: our first general contractor too. Wow. Oh. So
1: what? What are, are what are we missing? Yeah, what yeah. are we missing out by not having that? not having had that perspective? So what far?
0: is a general contractor?
2: Um, a general contractor gets things built. Uh, and and it's general because it goes across all trades. Um, it goes across all expertise. We as a general contractor and, and typically most California general contractors, especially for residential subcontract, a lot of the work out to specific trades, um, which is... Uh, great when trades are available to be there for the new projects. It's difficult when they're not. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so what um, before we get into that issue, what, what sorts of projects do you build? What kind of projects do you build?
2: Right now, we predominantly do infill development. Um, my partner, Catherine, and I, as BARTAS Homes, we have really only specialized in that. So we have a project called the Mill at Broadway. It's a very large infill development in the city of Sacramento that at build-out will be close to 1,000 homes. Hmm. Um, It's a condo mapped community and uh, we have some projects in West Sacramento that's infill and our family's been doing development for close to 50 years in the area for large developments, master plan communities as well as um, some smaller sites. Can can you give
0: us an idea of like literally how many people you employ for the, the Broadway project that you're working
2: on? That's a good question, because it can be answered in a few different ways. Technically, um, what we have is five people on site that do, we call Just them...
0: really strong people that can... They do. It's amazing what they can lift. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, no, we uh, so we call it uh, shoulders up. So our on-site crew, they manage the schedule, they manage the trades, they let them know when they need to be there, um, for what... Uh, next aspects need to be built and, and that's, so it's like herding cats. It's a little bit of juggling who showed up, who didn't show up, who's next in line and now has to be pushed back. And, and so it's a lot of, um, managing issues. And so for that project in particular, you think, oh gosh, you must have a ton of people out there. And we don't, we, we don't on our staff. But that's where I was saying we subcontract a lot of the work out. So we have a subcontractor or a trade that will do our foundations, our plumbing, our electrical. So every aspect of our build is a subcontract. Um, and And it takes... So if you were to ask me how many people are actually physically on-site building, mm, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> we, we like to refer to it as it's like seeing ants everywhere. It's, mm. We have tons of people doing tons of different work. Um, my, my son likes to refer to it as building like a Lego city.
1: Um, so is, is there a
3: labor shortage
2: There, um, you know, it's amazing to hear that if that's even a question, Mm -hmm. Um, because quite honestly, I've been in the industry, I know I appear extremely young. Um, But I have been in the industry for a very long time, um, since 2000 at least. Mm -hmm. And in that time period, there was a shortage. People were like, oh, gosh, there are not enough people to build as many houses as we need to build for our local market. Mm -hmm. And so it was searching far and wide to find more people to add because we were in such a boom. We went through a big boom. Right. And and so it was building that up now, and that was you know we were getting close to twenty thousand permits a year, which was far outside of what we typically do.
1: And twenty thousand for the the city was
2: for our general region. I
1: see. Okay. And
2: mm-hmm. and we're 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 generally ten thousand, maybe twelve. But if you look at where we currently are for new home permit activity, we're reaching six thousand. And, and we're crying for a labor shortage. So right. the labor shortage mm. that we were facing with our 20,000 permits was mm. because there was were, there were so much activity and we right. needed more people. Now, because there was such a, a deficit, we hit rock bottom. We right. call it sort of the tsunami event that happened. And that happened for so long. There was so, such a big gap between when the last starts went in and then today that our build is very slow. Which means it's great. It means it's a sound rebuild of our market. Yeah. But it also means, well, where did our labor go? Because during that huge gap, there was you know, not any work. So people had to either repurpose themselves, um, find something new and interesting to get into, or leave the area completely. Mm-hmm. Um, the threat of all those things make it to where we have a huge gap from... Whether it's middle management going to upper management or trades moving up the line to become senior management within those uh, industries as well, there's there's just not a lot of people now left to choose from. Yeah, because they're gone. Can
0: can you give us an example of like we waited weeks to try to find this particular uh, plumber, plumber, or, yeah. Or elder, yeah, yeah. And, like, how does that actually specifically ramp up your costs?
2: So so how it works is more related to um, new project comes out. New project comes out to bid. We'd like competitive bid. And so it's not just choosing your you know, your pal down the street that's done a good job for you the last few times. So competitive bid means, all right, I'm putting this out. I need to get at least three trade um, pricing back in. We have more than a few circumstances where we've put projects out to bid mm-hmm. and, um, and asked for a two to three week return. And even for them to get to the point of, opening the plans could take three weeks. So Mm. then we start getting to the point of saying, hey, can you really give me that price? I really need to see something. And and some will just decline to bid. They are so, they've reached capacity, they're overworked and they cannot get any new project in their pipeline. So then that's the end of it. Then we go, okay, well then who's next? Is anyone else out there? And some will say, well, sure, I can do that. But it's going to cost you this. So where market might be at a price point, you know that's reasonable. He might say or she might say, "Okay, I'm going to do that job that I priced out um, a few months ago, and make that weekend work, and I'll price yours at a premium, but I'll get to you sooner." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then so suddenly, especially you know whether it's infill or or even greenfield. Um, I I refer to greenfield development now as uh, luxury development, luxury building, because Mm -hmm. there's so much space between homes. Um, (laughs) Complexity of infill is really difficult. So for trades to come in even Mm. to infill building, you know, some of them are scratching their heads going, gosh, where am I even supposed to park? Mm. You know, the inconvenience factor (laughs) could be a tax. We could get taxed on inconvenience factor. If it was something to where they were starved for work, well, sure, they're going to show up anywhere. They're not. And so now it's everything's a premium. Yeah.
1: Yeah. this is the most basic basic question um there's a shortage of things if you want people to um engage in more work one way to do that is to incentivize them the way you incentivize them is you pay them more yes if there's a labor shortage why not pay laborers more maybe you won't have a labor shortage anymore
2: they are so already right now majority of our increase goes not to material cost, and there are material cost increases sure. there's you know Based on current administration, there are interesting tariffs that are now coming through and affecting us as well, um, which is unfortunate. Because as it is, we're already seeing the majority of our increases going to labor. So there is a significant labor increase already that we've seen in the last three years to incentivize, you know, whether it's new, young, um, up-and-coming Trades, um, contractors for framing, electrical, plumbing, any of them, um, they've they've seen a significant increase over what was in how, the last. How boom. big is
0: significant? How what were you paying three years ago as an example, and then what are you paying now?
2: Gosh, in some in some trades it's double. So so for example, what Which would be trades? framing for sure? Interesting. Yeah, okay. um, drywall for mm. sure. Huh?
0: Yeah. Why? So why those? Why why is the shortage so acute in those?
2: Um, it's more that the rebuild. So it's, it's like I said, people left or they repurpose themselves, but they're not here. So then it's the incentive, incentivizing people that have not maybe been in the industry to say, no, this is actually a great industry to be in. Hmm. And so there has been a wage increase in order to retain the talent or to attract the talent to come into it. Um, so that's very much there. All of that, obviously, then has a net effect on what the end price is for any of the homes that we're building. Um, You know, I can only speak to private side development. I'm a residential um, private developer and builder, and, you know, our margins are not significant. They're enough to where we can say, yeah, this works, and this is what we love doing, and then we want to continue to do it.
1: So if you're saying that pay is already being taken care of as a way to address... Um, some of the labor shortages what else needs to be done to uh, to address the issue
2: I think some of it really comes down to the basics of getting people to look again at construction as um, as a career you know there there's so much that was pushed and I think it was I think we figured it was starting even uh, 20 30 years ago that it was go to college go to college go get your degree don't go into the trades and a lot of people that come from the trades, you know, they want their children to sure. do something maybe different. And, and then there was, you know, a big push for electronics.com. And, and so the vision's not been on, hey, let's go work in construction. Um, and quite honestly, when you look at construction and you start to see and, and become familiar with it and the building of it, there are so many people that find a lot of reward in it, being outside. And, and actually achieving something where they can see it visually going up, going, I built that, that's awesome. Um, you know, there's a big tiny house movement, and that's exciting. There's a lot of people that ran towards that. So those are the kind of things that we need to help incentivize that look back towards construction as a career. And um, I just think for too long, and, and quite honestly, a lot of the high schools took a lot of those uh, classes out of mm-hmm. the school system. Mm-hmm. And so we're not even seeing it in in high schools. It's just not, it's not, it's not being promoted like it should. But again, it's just getting that, that warm fuzzy around it instead of, oh gosh, you don't want to do that.
1: So the message is like, don't stay in school. It's like leave school. Like school, school is
0: bad. Don't go get don't that degree
2: that and get that college debt and not have a job at the end of the day <laughs> and end up working You know, in, in the trades with us. Right, right. It's um, not a bad career.
0: Um, what, what role does immigrant labor... At, at all play in this. And, you know, there some people will say, look, immigrant labor for this specific industry has dried up, and that's what's really going on here. So, what what are your thoughts about that?
2: I don't know that it's necessarily dried up. It's always been there. And, and, and it's no different than, you know, in agriculture. Is it the same as
0: it was pre recession?
2: No, it's not as prevalent. Neither is it in agriculture. Usually there would right. be sort of a movement from one to the right. other, and right. where, depending on where it is. But now there's, there's a lot of machinery and equipment that's going into agriculture because of a lot of OSHA-related complexities. Um, and, you know, I, I, there, there is just less available, quite honestly, right now, in, at least in our local market.
0: What portion of your overall costs go to labor now? And what portion of your overall costs went to labor um, when you had more labor?
2: I don't know if I have that breakdown to where I can say exact percentage. Ah, maybe I just know, just a
0: rough. Just a rough. Well, percentage. I know.
2: Uh, well, let's see. If I were to throw a good swag. Pick a project. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our costs, I'm going to say, have increased between material and labor, um, close to forty percent of where I was back in two thousand four.
1: When similar pro- kinds of projects.
2: Similar projects. Okay because we do we also do single family detached right um and yeah and i was i was at a much lower price per foot as compared to today
1: um what do you think of prevailing wage
2: i think it's fantastic
1: do you do you use that on your projects
2: i can't <laughs> i can't no um it generally adds close to thirty, and and depending on the study, sometimes thirty five percent increase mm, in cost.
1: Okay, I mean yeah, the studies are all over they the. They are, mind. yeah. I mean, and some
2: show twenty five, but no. Well, the the the, the, la- the labor
1: the stu- labor well, we, this is a long conversation. But the labor studies will be around ten, ten to 10, some of the government studies are around ten to fifteen. But you're telling me that's crazy by by your look, by your look. Yeah. I mean, okay.
2: Because really, well, at the end of the day, it comes down to price point we will continue to build day in and day out as long as we can afford to build at a price point that our market can bear. And as it is, we're already having a concern and qu- and questions about whether our market can bear the price points that are out there today. Mm-hmm. And now you add, even if it is 10%, yeah. you've yeah, eroded profitability that potentially is at 10%, and there's no incentive then to build.
1: So what's your response to the argument that I hear from um, the construction workers union all the time and their supporters in the legislature that why should construction workers have to build um, you know if they will you know how can they build affordable housing if they're just creating more by not giving construction workers livable wages
2: um well i guess it's a it goes a little bit back to um an analogy that we've used before and it's if you have somebody building a Mercedes-Benz, does that mean that they should also then be able to afford that Mercedes-Benz? Is it, that, is it their right that they should also afford that? We all started. I started in an apartment. And then I moved up over time mm-hmm. where, you know, you, where where I was when I started working in, in the workplace is a different salary than where I am today. And sure. it was, you know, yeah. different than I was even 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. But each time as I continued to grow in my position, I was con- I was able to continue to afford more. And so I, I draw a little bit that same analogy is, you know, anybody that we're, we're having on our job sites today, should they be – um paid a wage that gets him in that uh 350 or 400 thousand dollar home i i don't know that i can afford to have that um because who then rents that apartment down Mm -hmm. the street
3: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. i think i mean some people would say you 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 don't need a mercedes-benz but you need a house right that would be absolutely yes
2: as long as you've got something to cover your head and it's you know clean water and it's a good facility that absolutely is true you know, we all need that. and that's and that's true, but that's again goes back to a starter home. If we can't even bring starter homes to the market, that's a real problem
0: if you had if you could cure one thing, uh, whether you could immediately have a huge glut of um, skilled, skilled work, labor right? or you could get rid of all the regulatory hurdles that and clearances that you need to get through to start actually building, which which of those is a bigger? Win for you. The other way of asking that is which of those is a bigger problem?
2: Um, So I think that it depends on the site. The site could be in a very difficult location to where the regulation would kill it. Uh, You know, there are some projects that can take 10 years. The Millet Broadway took 10 years. Mm -hmm. 10 years. So 10 years of the purchase. 10 years of the interest carry, 10 years of paying people to overcome issues, whether it's your civil engineer, whether it's your attorney, working with the city. You know, there's a ton of things that need to change to make it to where it's not that it's saying we don't want regulation. Regulation is important. It's important just for everyone's future. It's important to make sure that we're complying but overregulation and then the snail slow process uh-huh. makes it to where by the end of the day that land value now is increased exponentially because you've had tons of money dumped into it on top of tons of time, and then you hope and pray that you're hitting the market at a time that's receiving it well. Right. <laughs> Right. And then you now have to go into a vertical construction where even that regulation changes or right. or now we need to change, um, you know, the transportation fee. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I penciled this a few years back. And now every year you have to repencil, repencil, repencil. Can I start it or can't I? And then it comes down to no. Nope. It doesn't pencil anymore. Is either sit and wait or take a haircut on it and try and see if somebody else wants to take a stab at it.
0: We yeah, we need a sound effect for can and pencil. can it pencil. As well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it sounds like your answer is more the the planning process for those types of for projects. large ones. Yeah, yeah, for bigger infill projects. Yeah,
2: or or just bigger projects generally. You know, yeah. there's some greenfield development that takes quite a bit of time as well. Yeah. Right. yeah. You
1: got anything else? I'm good. Rachel, anything else you think we should know?
2: No, I think that you, what you should continue to do is ask these questions and bring in developers and builders and, and honestly get that feedback because I would love to remove the stigmas associated with developers and development because we, all we want to do is build great things for our community. All right.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel.
2: Yeah, Thank you.
1: We're here with Alex Landsberg, who is an analyst with the San Francisco Electricians Union. Alex, thanks so much for being here.
0: Uh, sure, Alex. Let's let's start really basically. Is all right. there a, is there a construction labor shortage, and why is there one if it does exist?
3: So you know, in in the world of policy, and I was playing with spreadsheets and all sorts of stuff.
0: Um, wow, just tossing entertaining red meat to the listeners. <laughs> so yeah, you know,
3: I mean, you you can't answer these questions without um, without digging into the numbers. Agree. Um, So, I think, generally speaking, yeah, we are employing, I believe, statewide, we are employing fewer construction workers than we were at the peak of uh, prior to the recession. So, we still have not exceeded the numbers from the recession. And uh, considering, you know, considering Just how badly housing is needed and how much construction is is happening in urban job centers, I think that that may uh, play a problem. A second uh, where where you really need to dig into the question is where are you talking about the the shortage uh, being? Um, what, uh, both in terms of geography, in terms of the sectors, in, ter- in terms of the occupations, all of that stuff really depends on drilling down and, and looking at the area so, uh, or uh, drilling down to the geography where, uh, where the work is happening. So let's,
0: let's uh, stop on that for a second. Where, where geographically are the shortages the worst and then where in terms of occupation type are the shortages the worst? Okay. And what's the easiest to learn? And do, can you recommend like a three month uh, program that I could enroll myself in? Because um, I'm, I, it's really hot in this podcast booth right now, and I, I'm thinking of switching jobs.
3: Oh, really, really. Uh, so are you are, are you going to be swinging a hammer or just trying to do uh, electrical work? Whatever <laughs>
0: it takes. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, you know, there are apprenticeship programs, but they will take you, at least on the union side, uh, will take you between three and five years, depending wow. on which occupation uh, you get into. But, okay. you know, these apprenticeship programs, uh, amazingly enough, are, in, are often more selective than, like, our UCs in terms of the number of people who apply to get into these things and the... Um, uh, and the room available to accommodate them.
1: But, but isn't that isn't that then part of the problem? Is, yeah, is that a good I, thing or I, a bad thing? I mean, thing? shouldn't we shouldn't we be accepting more people to have more people build houses to alleviate some of the shortage that uh, that we're talking
3: about? So uh, so uh, so let's back up. I mean, yeah. there, 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 there's a whole bunch of questions over here, yeah. and I've been you know I've been trying to I should probably say that um, over the past six months I have not been. Knee deep in the data as much as I had been prior. Uh, I've been in this gig for uh, uh, for about eight months and kind of stepped away from a lot of uh, from a lot of stuff. So I don't really have this huge overarching, the same overarching uh, perspective that I had of the various metropolitan areas in California and where and where shortages were happening or, or weren't happening. That being said. Uh, there, there's another part to the answer and I think this is something that many of your uh, readers may have read in the Sacramento B and those Robbie Hunter's uh, op-ed about labor shortage and specifically it's because and Robbie
1: I'm sorry Robbie's the head of this Robbie wide, Hunter is, uh,
3: the, is the head yeah. of the state building and construction trades right. he mm-hmm. comes out of Orange County an iron worker out of Orange County so that's his perspective is from down there yeah. uh, and, and you know between Northern yeah, like, California and Southern California it's just different countries right. um, but uh, he put it well uh, the union halls are continuing to uh, to man to man the jobs and uh, what's happening is that the the low wage part of the industry has completely dropped out it's completely dropped out so uh, oftentimes you would see you know the the the, the construction industry is is actually several Industries all at one. When we talk about construction, people think of just like, you know, a dude holding, uh, uh, swinging a hammer, uh, putting a house together. Uh, but that is a dramatically different person than the one who is, uh, in, in terms of skills, in terms of occup in terms of training, in terms of uh, the conditions that they work under, than uh, a person building um, state office buildings, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. So, the way I have always thought about the construction industry is that you really do need to take a look at it in its, in its diversity. So you have residential, you have contractors who specialize just in residential construction, small-scale residential construction. That's all they do. Uh, and they have a completely different compensation uh, compensation structure than your mega general contractor who puts up high-rises. Um, they, how they work with, with their employees, how they how they interact with subcontractors, uh, all that stuff is different. Um, and so, so I think that that's a really important thing to keep in mind um, uh, when when we talk about what's going on in, uh, in, in as far as labor shortages and as far as the big stuff. I think you're seeing, you know, you're seeing at least you know according to the, the statewide uh, representatives they're they're hitting they're they're, they're fielding their calls they're, uh, and they're and they're able to man the work where um where I think we're, we start also having challenges and this is something that I've been trying to figure out or trying to dig into over the past uh, past few months is really kind of figuring out what's going on on the establishment side of of the industry.
1: What does that mean? What's this? Uh,
3: like what are the contractors are doing? You know, we talk about labor shortages here there here and there, but we don't talk about whether or not the construction industry itself in terms of its supervision, in terms of its um uh and uh, just its project management capacity has has the capability to take on more work.
0: What you're saying is that in some of these for the highly skilled Contractors, your what? Your carpenters, your electricians. uh, Yeah, you know, your carpenters,
3: your electricians, your um, your heavy equipment operators. Gotcha. So those
0: there, there is no shortage there. You're saying
3: I need to again. You got to take a look at it. You got to take a look at it by by the region. So Mm -hmm. I think in the Bay Area, Mm -hmm. in the Bay Area, are I I think last I saw, and this was uh, this was one of the things that I didn't get a chance to pull up uh, last night or this morning was I, I think pretty much all of the main construction occupations have reached or, or, or appro- are approaching pre-crisis peak, uh, pre-crisis peak. Hmm. just within San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You step out of San Francisco, and you see that the numbers are significantly lower. So
2: it's
3: a question that doesn't lend itself to an easy answer, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, especially if you have two-handed economists and stuff.
1: Yeah, so that's the question that I ask all, all the time when I, you know, and I'm assuming it's something you agree with. Um, if there's a labor shortage, then why don't you pay people more? Then maybe people, more people would want to work. Is that, you know,
3: I mean, yeah. they, that's that's what they keep telling us, and you know, when we talk about supply and demand,
1: right? And so uh, and that's that's you. you well, fully endorse that sentence. <laughs>
3: wow. Yes, I do, yeah. and, I, and I think, and and you. Seen that? And I think I,
0: I've. Uh... I, I think just to make Liam's question a little more sophisticated. Wow. Okay. Have you have you seen an increase in wages at all? I mean, like, it, you know, I guess pre recession to now, right? Like, if if there if that's the metric by which we really should judge whether there's a shortage or not, like, has there been a rise?
3: So. There's, um, I'm going to, I'm going to urge all of your readers to, um, to go uh, check out the website of Liam's employer at the LA Times, and take a look at the story that they did on construction wages. So what you see is that there's been a long-term decline in real wages for construction. And remember, this is dangerous work. This is not, you know, I mean, people die all the time doing. So you've seen this long-term uh, decline in how much people are being paid. Um, when when I did uh, the report for um, Smart Cities Prevail before uh, 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 last year, we saw a similar thing. And, uh, that's in, a,
1: in and Smart Cities Prevail, tell us what, what, who they are. Relevant. So the
3: Smart Cities yeah. Prevail is a 501c4 organization that's really positioned itself and, and built a, a brand, as it were, as the leading A really really leading voice in in prevailing wage and uh, sector and construction-related research in California, and has really been doing a bunch of stuff nationally as well. Um, And part of what we did there was really try to unpack all the myths around prevailing wages and really help and really put together, uh, I think, a much more coherent story about the role of prevailing wages in uh, really supporting. uh, sustainable construction uh, sector
1: yeah so let me ask you something that you're probably not gonna agree with like, unlike my last question um so you know when we talk I talk to developers and, and builders and and those you know and even a lot of times to government officials about uh, you know about this and they say look like we could argue as there have been sig- significant arguments about the exact amount of cost increase that goes along with paying prevailing wages but uh, developers do face a lot of uh, a, a lot of things that, that do drive up their costs Um and wages and labor being one of them. Uh, and so why, um, you know, why add a mandated wage rate um, uh, if, if that's going to increase the cost? Like, if we need to get as much housing built as possible, why add another layer of cost to that
3: process? Because people need to make a fair living. <laughs> i that, that that's the, yeah yeah that, i mean that, that's and, 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 of, that's the flippant answer, but it's yeah. like you take apart i mean let's let's back up when you okay. take a look at multifamily housing construction uh, direct uh, construction labor um and wages and benefits are a fraction of the of the project cost they're about one uh they're about fifteen percent so about uh or no uh yeah one seven one seventh of the of of of, of project costs that's a very small price to pay for um ensuring that workers work much safer, that, that you get more productivity out of them, that you create a, a, a high-skill sector, and that uh, at the end of the day you don't create a, a workforce that need, that's going to be qualifying for the same housing that you're building. So that's, that's uh, one part of it.
0: Are there less young people going into these trades than there used to be? Oh, my Is
3: God, there... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I got to – okay, and, so – And why? Um – well, I mean, for one, like I said, we've had—I mean, we just had like a monumental bust that drove a lot of people out of the industry just to mm-hmm. begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, that that that's obviously going to have something to do with it. We, but also, you know, if there's a long-term decli- <laughs> declining real wage, that's not something that's attractive. Just uh, uh, so you know, it's—I like I can't blame people for for doing that. I put together a little chart in my spreadsheet. I'm going to use that word again.
0: This is so awesome.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Looking at, um, God, uh, well, in California overall, 55 to 64-year-olds have gone from 10% of the workforce to 22% <laughs> of the workforce uh, since from ni- since 1992. But the the number of, of grays in uh, in pretty much all of these, uh, in all of these sectors, uh, parts of the construction industry has the proportion has um, doubled and or tripled.
0: Gotcha. So way more, way more old people. A lot more in, old in the construction trades than there used to be. Even accounting for how California is just more old people working here uh, because young e- people can't afford to live here.
3: Anymore.
0: E- yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so real, real quickly, um, I. Let's talk about um, immigrant labor and what what role that used to play in the construction industry and what that role currently is.
3: Oh, well, if, you know, if I recall correctly, if I recall correctly from the L.A. Times article, um, it certainly charted the change in um, uh, in just the ethnic composition, the composition of, of California's construction workforce,
0: has the decline in undocumented immigration to California that we've seen post-recession is that to blame for a shortage of construction labor?
3: If uh, I do not have uh, I do not have research to answer that one way or the other, okay. but anecdotally and sort of based on my understanding of the way the industry operated, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, what I what I was getting into, when you take a look at when you take a look at who is California's low wage construction workforce, it is overwhelmingly Latino. Uh-huh. It is like mm-hmm. uh, you know, L- Latinos and people of color make up 85% of the low income blue collar construction workers, or at least they did. Um, it, you know, uh, in the in the first part of this decade. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, if <laughs> you have you have fewer uh, fewer vulnerable people who are willing to do anything to make uh, to you know to put some food on the table and and make ends meet, uh, there you have fewer of those, and then you, you know, the opportunities for exploitation have been reduced. Hmm. I guess in that sense. Hmm.
1: So here's a here's uh, a question: What can what can labor unions do better? To uh, deal with the fact that that there seems to be a demand for um, home production that's that's not being met.
3: Um, well, I think you know to to get the answer at a, at this broad scale, uh, you know, just kind of a, this uh, this general, what can labor unions, generally speaking, do to uh, to address this thing? I mean, obviously, bring more people into the apprenticeship program. I think that there's there's a fair amount of flexibility in, in terms of. Um, people coming on and members, uh, members moving uh, among uh, geographic areas uh, and whatnot. But you know, bringing people into apprenticeship programs is one thing. They need they need work opportunities and places to go uh, to actually do the work. And that's not something that labor necessarily does. That's something, or that unions do. That's something that contractors do. So. You know, in a way, in a way, when we talk about housing, people yell, like, this city only built so many units. I'm like, the well, city don't build housing. Someone else builds housing.
0: Um, okay. I think that's about it. Thank you very much, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Hey, my pleasure, guys.
1: Thank you so much to Alex and Rachel for joining us. And thank you, the listener, for being with us as well. <laughs> Um, you can find uh, more of my work on Twitter at
0: M11Reports and at CalMatters.org. And I'm uh, on Twitter at, at Dylan
2: Liam. And thanks again for listening.